Welcome to Equosity, our podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to let you know about our upcoming webinar. We've scheduled another in our series of webinars with Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz. It's going to be Sunday, June 2nd at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. As always, we'll be recording the webinar, so if you can't attend the live event, you'll be able to listen to it afterwards. But if you sign up before June 2nd, you'll get the early bird price. To register, go to our website, equosity.com. The topic this time is going to be cues in context. When Jesus asked us what we wanted him to talk about, I requested that presentation in particular because it fits so well with what we're going to be talking about in the next couple of podcasts. Last week, we began a conversation with Sarah Owings. This is the second of a four-part conversation. We stopped last week just as we were getting to the main question we wanted to explore together, which is how we each think about cues and how we teach stimulus control. You can see how perfect it's going to be to finish off these podcasts with a webinar with Jesus on cues. So for now, we'll pick up the conversation where we left off with my questions that are centered around how we each teach cues. Sarah, do you want to jump in with how you think of stimulus control and how you think of cues and how you teach cues? Well, it's... uh... Currently evolving. Okay. <laughs> Currently evolving. It's always I love evolving. That. I really love yes. that. Yes. Um, I think it will, yeah, it will continually evolve. Yes. But definitely when I started out, and I would say even six years ago, I was much more of a literalist, um, which is sort of a mark of, an, uh, of, of a newer trainer, is they'll read a manual, like a, tra- you know, like don't shoot the dog. Right. And you'll read the four conditions of stimulus control and it becomes like a rule. Okay. Right. Uh, like, and it has to be done this way. And for every behavior, or did you allow yourself the flexibility of saying not every behavior has to be brought under full stimulus control? Well, I will confess when I first started out, I didn't really know how to behave, bring behaviors under stimulus control. Right. right, right. So the, Right. But um, the first phase was, I remember listening to a lecture by Kathy Sedale years and years ago, where she was really emphasizing the fact that most of us get really hung up on the cues, thinking that the cues have the power. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I rem- this really stuck with me, right? Because I was coming from a command-based mindset, shifting into this new one. And Kathy was stressing this so beautifully and eloquently and and convincingly the way she does right and it's it's a very easy thing when you're first when if I say sit to a dog and the dog Mm -hmm. sits it's easy to think well sit caused the behavior right and not do that extra step of well if I didn't reinforce the dog with hot dogs or punish the dog if he didn't sit Mm -hmm. why would he sit when I say sit Exactly. You know, there's there's some the, that it's the concept. because you didn't say it loud the, enough, it's, it's, right? That's right. Right. Or often I didn't repeat it enough times. Yes. Exactly. Yes. 
Yeah, you have to say it at least three times and go increasing with your tone. Right. <laughs> yes. So it's it's that recognition that consequences drive behavior, not the antecedents. Exactly. And I took that as a young, eager clicker trainer very much to heart. So what I did for the first few years was I only thought about consequences. Okay. Mm. I focused so yeah. heavily on consequences and making sure the consequences- I'm guilty of that too. Right? That I really yeah. compartmentalized all yeah. the stuff about the antecedents and all the cueing. And I and because most of the training manuals and say there are three steps to training, right? They sound so simple. Uh, step one, get the behavior, yeah. right? Step two, add a cue. Okay. Whatever that means. And step three, to get stimulus control, you just stop reinforcing off-cue behavior. And these are the literal steps that most people that are starting out clicker training, they read a manual, and this is what we're doing. And then what I was doing at that time was compartmentalizing, compartmentalizing those steps. So I, I was thinking that there were no real important cues happening until I got to step two. Mm -hmm. Does, and that's what, that's, and I've, I'm definitely evolving out of that, but your talk, your talk really changed that. So we'll, we'll get to that. Ooh, yay. Or, 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 <laughs> or it's goose pumping because it, you know, that's, that's where the real discussion begins. Yes. So the original, the original instructions, and I remember I, where I read them or heard them, I don't know, but the original instructions that you encountered and this would have been when I first encountered clicker training, which was, I think, 1993. And we were told, first, you get the behavior. So you hold it. And, and this was the example. You hold the target out for your animal to touch and they will start. They'll orient to the target. You click, you reinforce it. You hold the target out again. You click, you reinforce it. And at the point, well, this came from Gary Wilkes, at the point where you would bet money. I can hear Gary. I, the reason I say that is I can hear him saying this. At the point where you would bet $50, it was always $50, and it still is $50, which tells you something about inflation, which is a good thing that it's still $50. But at the point where you would bet $50, you will now begin to attach a cue. And of course, it's complete misdirection because yes. it sort of bagged the fact that the target is already cueing the behavior. A uh, big, big cue. <laughs> right. So, so we, but because yes. of the but then you, you would be instructed to say touch, right. maybe. But because of the misdirection, it took us a long time to recognize that, mm -hmm. oh, right, the target itself is a cue. Yes. So, so then you, you say touch or mm -hmm. whatever, you know, you could say gorilla for all you want, you know, but you say touch. Mm -hmm. And your brilliant animal, whether it's a dog or a horse or a guinea pig, whatever it is, touches the target. Of course he touches the target because that's what's been reinforced time after time after time prior to this. So it doesn't matter whether you said touch or, you know, some mm. nonsense word, your animal is going to touch the target. So he touches the target, you click, you treat, you, touch, you say touch, you present the target, he touches it, you click, you treat, you do this repeatedly until this is consistent, and then you hold the target up, but you don't say touch, 
And now you are not to reinforce when this animal is touching the target. But of course he's going to touch it mm -hmm. because... You are cueing. Because A, you are cueing, and B, that's been the behavior that is mm -hmm. hot and that's paid off consistently all of this time. And so of course he's going to touch it. So now he's in an extinction process, mm -hmm. but we didn't understand about extinction at that point. And so we just observed, you know, I would observe this behavior and this is where I always failed because first you get the response bursting. Mm -hmm. So you get the animal trying harder. You must not have seen that I touched the target. Right, so you're at step three now. Now you're at step three. You're trying to get stimulus control now. Right, because this is these are the, the instructions. So now I'm I'm going to say, in the absence of my saying touch, I don't want you touching the target. So I'm getting one of the elements that every time I present the cue, you give me the behavior. Well, I've got that. I say touch, and you touch the target. It has nothing to do whether I say touch or not. Right. Touch is just a really hot behavior. But I'm a new trainer. I don't really fully understand this yet. But now in the second step, I'm to not give the cue, but there's the target, which actually is a cue, but that's, I haven't learned to recognize that yet. And, and so my animal is going to be mm -hmm. presenting the behavior. It, it could be sitting, might not have a prop involved, but I'm not to reinforce in the absence of the cue. But I haven't taught my learner I haven't given, created a repertoire where I've taught my learner, well, how about doing this other thing? Mm -hmm. So I want him to do nothing, but nothing is something. So I'm going to get an extinction process where mm -hmm. first he really offers me a lot of the behavior. It's that you put your money in the vending machine and you pull the handle and nothing comes out. So you pull it a little harder because it must be jammed and nothing comes out. So you bang the side of the vending machine because you've seen that modeled by other people. And then you, you know, you, you shake the vending machine or you, whatever it is that you've seen modeled. And then you get, eventually give up. And in that point where you start to give up, mm -hmm. then you're to present the cue, touch. And I hated this yeah, process. So did I. Because my animal was so frustrated. So I thought, you know, this may be fine if you're working with a dog, but I'm going to sit on the animal that I'm frustrating. <laughs> and this doesn't work for me. Yeah. And it doesn't work for my horse. So I went down a different path mm -hmm. fairly quickly. Yep. And I had to as well, because uh, although I had a dog, I had the kind of, I had a learner who, if she was not clicked more than twice in a row, she would quit the whole session and go lay down. And she wouldn't come back. Okay. She wouldn't come back. So I could not do an extinction process in that way. No. So, so I was in the same kind of boat in a way, even though I had a dog that she, she would shut down and go, she wouldn't, she wouldn't attack me. My new dog is actually the opposite. Uh, if I frustrate him... Uh, he will bite. He could bite. He could yell at me. He could, you know, he, yeah. but so both my learners have taught me very clearly that that step has to be refined. Like you can't. Yeah. So if the same, so you and I came to the same place with different species. Right. But Cause uh, we listened to, we listened to our animals. Right. And they said, this, this is not, this right. is not the way you, that, 
that cues work. And it's a unit. Yes. It's not three separate things. I mean, that's one of the things that, that Jesus has really been emphasizing for us, mm-hmm. that it's not three separate things that exist in the absence of one another. Right. It, these are units. Right. And that's what I meant by compartmentalizing. So when I, I was a novice trainer, I really wasn't even thinking about the cues at all in the early phase. I was just trying to get the behavior going. And so, and I was just focused on, is the behavior happening? And is the yeah. reinforcement happening? And I was ignoring everything else. And I, and then later on, I, th- I would think, what should I call this? Huh. Or, you know what I mean? I mean, way down the line. And so where I've been, what I've been, I've been, I've been teaching, uh, lect- lecturing and teaching on cues and stimulus control at Expo for the last four years now. And now I teach a, a lab on cueing. So Sarah, before we jump into the cues, so you're compartmentalizing the cues. What I want to ask is what about environmental arrangements? So there's the cues that we're giving, but there's also the setting up the environment for success. Was that part of the process as well, or did that get pushed out in this model? In the early days, I think that was pushed out. Um, it was very, there was a lot of messy loops actually, not because you weren't, if you're not thinking about antecedent arrangements, then you do a lot more of sort of empty space and letting the learner guess for a while until they kind of stumble on the right answer. And then you kind of p- go pick up from there. So absolutely, the, the, but the first phase was just, like I said, just waiting for the behavior to happen. Literally, just you put out the object and start clicking or you stand there and stare at your learner for an interminable amount of time while they go through their repertoires or bark at you or whatever right. um, until you because their right. repertoire may only be bark you know if right you know it's, right it's that lovely video that that comes from Robert Epstein and who was B.F. Skinner's last graduate student where mm-hmm. they were teaching a pigeon to get up on a block and peck at a banana but the block is is at a distance from the toy banana so the pigeon is put in this box and there's a, a plastic banana suspended from the top of the box and there's a wooden block that's set off to the side and the pigeon first tries reaching up to peck at the banana because that's in repertoire but he can't reach it and and then he pushes he goes over to the block he hops up on the block sort of stretches his neck up but he can't quite reach because the block is is off to the side and then he hops down and he pushes the block and he pushes it again and he gets up on the block and he stretches but he can't quite reach yet so he pushes gets down off the block pushes it again hops up on the block and put and pecks the banana and it takes something like less than a minute for this pigeon to solve this puzzle it's it's an astounding piece of video if you've never seen it it's just astounding to watch the puzzle solving. Yes. But the only way that the pu- that the pigeon could solve the puzzle is if he had in repertoire mm-hmm. pushing the block, pushing an object to a line, mm-hmm. hopping up on the block and pecking at the toy banana. If he was missing hopping up on the block or if he was missing pushing the block to the line, 
those pigeons that didn't have that in repertoire couldn't solve the puzzle. Right. So yeah. we're, we were t- putting our learners into this, oh, free shaping is so cool, mm-hmm. but they didn't have the repertoire necessarily right. always to solve the puzzle. And then it was frustrating for them, and it was certainly frustrating for us. Yes. Uh, I love that video, by the way. I've seen it many times and thought about it often. Yes. Um, and I, I, I've been thinking about creating a, a course designed just for that, where you teach the core skills. Yes. Various things. Push things, step on things, pull things, pick things up. Right. And kind of generalize those skills and then set little puzzles to see if the learners could could figure those kinds of things out and put their own. I think that would be fascinating to to work on. It's the constructional training and it's what Jesus is doing when because they're working. He and Mary Hunter are working on a manual for portal. And it's it's really exactly that. It's what are the key skills, things like push an object to a line. And what are the building blocks yes. that if you put in the, these building blocks into repertoire, you mm-hmm. can solve a lot of different puzzles. So with the horses, if I have built a repertoire, if I have a horse that really knows how to go forward and really knows how to back up, I can build all kinds of things out of just those two skills. Right. Right. The prerequisites. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yes. But you could still benefit from antecedent arrangements, how the environment is set up to make the behavior more likely or not. Even when you have all the little pieces of the behavior, in order for it to all come together, you can still arrange the environment to make the animal successful quicker. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you absolutely should. Uh, that should be... So what I've been, what I've been teaching now is to... Th- that it's very important to th- think through the entire process, start to finish, and think through your stimulus control. So what does that look like for that behavior? And you think that all through before your first click, before you even get started shaping anything. An example might be, let's say you have a behavior where you want the dog to walk to a, a platform and get up, jump up on all with all four feet. Okay. Right. So we know the platform is going to be the primary cue, but your ultimate goal is that the dog will orient to you, watch you say the word "hop up," and then go to the table. Okay. Right. So that's your final picture. Was so the piece that's important is that the that the the learner is going to orient to the trainer wait for that cue the cue is going to happen and then go to the table right so that would be your final picture so when you start shaping that table you want to think about the fact that your ultimate goal is going to be a verbal cue right okay so that means you need to vary yourself Mm -hmm. a lot in the early phases of the training because you don't want your position to be an important cue because your goal will be a verbal cue. Now, if your goal was just the table was the cue or just you standing near the table is the cue, if that was your goal, you're going to teach it differently, right? Mm -hmm. But if your goal is that the learner is going to listen to your words, 
then you want to get yourself kind of out of the picture earlier. So the way I would do that is as, as I get the loops going, I will vary my position relative to the table as the learner is offering to go to it. I know clearly that the table is still the cue at, in the early phases, but I'm not relevant yet. I'm just clicking and resetting in, the, in a place that I know the learner can continue the loop cleanly. So you would be from the get-go as you would be moving in all kinds of direction and doing all kinds of things with your body so that nothing becomes the cue in your body. That would be my goal. Of course, of course, me, me being there with the smell of reinforcement, all of that is cue. It's going to be cueing the structure of go offer behavior and follow the clicks. Often I kind of, when I'm shaping for an object like that with a table or a, you know, a push a ball or, you know, anything that's an object orient, I tend to sort of be in the background. I'll tend to be a little bit behind the dog or I might be kneeling. So I'm just a little bit out of the picture. And what you'll see in all my videos is the learners are really listening to the clicks during that phase. They're not looking at me very much. But how do you know that the kneeling, let's say that's the position you take, doesn't become part of the cue? Oh, it, I, I would vary it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but I pay attention to what, usually the, with dogs anyway, when they want information from you, they orient right to you. They look, they come to you and they stand there and they orient and they stare at you. Mm. And when I'm shaping, I don't want that behavior initially. I don't want that looking at me behavior initially. So if that's not happening, if there's a clean loop, the learner will eat the reinforcer and go to the table, jump up, click. The click will make the learner orient to me just to see where the reinforcer is going to go. Then we get the loop going. So that's a phase. Then when I get to step three, and I talked to um, Jesus about this, and he really approved of this. When I get to step three, that stimulus control phase, yes. right? Because I don't want extinction, I warm up, I change the stimulus conditions for that phase. To, so what the way I would do that is I, I make myself much more relevant now. So for the start of a session where I'm waiting, I want the animal to orient to me, I will actually stand right in my more, a little bit more official posture initially so that I'm relevant and I've changed this, the conditions. So it draws the learner's attention. Now, as you mentioned, Alex, my dogs have a default, right? Of orienting to me and looking at me and waiting. Okay. When I am, when I am in this a little bit more of an official position, official, basically like if I was shaping with kneeling and kind of moving around and staying in the background. Now, when I want to shift to listen to cues, uh, focus on me, I'll start the session with clicks for home position or stand and wait or eye contact. Okay. Uh, I'll start the session like that. And I will start the session with me m putting myself a little more prominently into the picture. Okay. And for my learners, that is a cue to focus on me. And once I see that focus starting, I will then cue the table behavior and I will do a slight new cue, old cue. So I will say table and then I will orient my body back to the way it looked when they were offering the behavior. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's like 
but it looked a lot of different ways. Right. So, but it's usually like... So you, you, you change your position when you introduce the cue. But now, wait a minute. So, so you're saying you'll change your body to how it looked when prior to your giving the verbal cue? Uh, most likely, it would be the shoulders turned towards the object. Okay. Very likely. That would be... Because as I'm focused on clicking at the correct time, I will be focused right on that so that's usually what is the background cue for offer the behavior of table right is that i'm i am there do you see so ah so a cue has evolved out of the shaping process exactly exactly so then i just i'm tagging in yeah then the default behavior of now orient to me i'm going to say this funny word that doesn't mean anything yet table and it's going to immediately be followed by your old cue that you're been which yep. mean you know which is my shoulders will shift yep i'm very aware that i am doing a prompt you know new cue old cue but eventually the learner anticipates and i can say table and not shift my shoulders and they go right right and i'll, cl- I'll click that immediately because that's that connection between this funny little word i'm saying but they have learned that where you orient your shoulder is where they should be heading to. Is this correct? Usually. Usually when there's an object, it's a little bit right. different. It's actually a little more subtle and tricky when there is a free, the animal is standing in a freestanding position and you want a behavior that doesn't have an object. So it'll be a little bit different for that. We can, we can talk about that. It's just a little bit harder. But with an object, it's very easy to just shift your shoulders. Yeah, you have to look at the location of where the behavior is going to be occurring in order to click when the behavior occurs. So exactly right. So you you can't not obs- you can't not observe your animal and reinforce him in a timely manner. So whether you are to the left of the table or the right of the table or behind the table you're still going to be looking at the table to see when your dog has approached the table. Right. So so within all of that movement, there is something that has remained relevant information for the dog. Right. Right. That he's picking up on. And I think of it as there are conditions for offering the behavior. Yep. Right. And then there are conditions for wait for the cue. And my job, especially during that that delicate phase when you're kind of shifting out of offer behavior and shifting into wait for cues, it's my job to be religiously clear what condition we are in at any given time. I recommend that people don't mush all this together. And this is where, Alex, you and I might have some interesting discussion because although I'm completely aware of the cues evolving, I also try really hard to make kind of a clear distinction for the learner. This is your offer behavior condition. And now take a break, go to your station, relax. And then now we're going to come back. I am changing the conditions now. I'm going to stand up more in your field of vision. I'm going to reinforce you for eye contact. I'm going to ask for maybe some cues just to let you know we're doing cueing now. And then I'm going to slip in this, this new table cue and then go back. So it's, if that makes sense, I try really hard to keep the conditions very clear until 
I feel that that verbal cue is attached, is actually attached. And then what? At that point, I will start to vary things again, mm-hmm. right? But always monitoring the learner's, the loop, the, cl- the cleanness of the loop. So if there's still a lot of hesitation or I might go back and reshape again, and or if the learner just needs a little time to settle into this new pattern, uh, I won't change anything for a little while. I'll keep that new cue, old cue, right? New cue will be me standing slightly formally. Dog looks at me. I say table and then turn my shoulders. Dog goes to the table, click treat. Then I would fade that out. The shoulders. The shoulders till it would be table. Dog goes to the table. Table. Dog goes to the table. When I start to feel that that is nice and clean, then I might sit in a chair and do it or... Mm. I'll start to vary it so that it becomes really clear to the learner that the most salient piece of information is that funny little sound table. That would be later on. That would be more advanced stimulus control. But do you vary in the beginning when the phase when, let's say, you're kneeling or you're a little bit behind? Yeah. When you're still in the getting the behavior phase, do you vary a lot at the beginning? I just... I would think of it more as I, I'm a little bit soft and in the background. Does that make sense? Uh, so I'm not like deliberately throwing my arms around or being distracting or doing anything okay. too much, but I'm just, I'm in a softer position. I might be kneeling or I might be in a relaxed kind of leaning against the wall. Uh, I'm, I'm just sort of out of, I'm just not a strong presence. I'm a soft background noise. Because I want the learner in that first phase to be really focused on the clicks and the the behaviors that the learner is doing. I don't want a lot of focusing on me at that right. phase. Right, I get um, what you what you're saying. So what is yeah. it that so when when you listen to my talk, what was it that struck you in that? I don't know about you, but I really want to know the answer to this question. However, we're all going to have to wait until next time. For me, this really is a cliffhanger. Sarah has done a superb job explaining how she teaches cues. Now we need to find out what the horses have been teaching me. Is it the same or is it different? And what are we both going to learn about cues from this discussion? And before I let you go, here's another reminder that on Sunday, June 2nd, we're going to have another webinar with Dr. Jesus Rosales-Ruiz. It will be at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. The subject is going to be Cues in Context. I've heard Jesus speak on this topic, so I know he's going to add another whole dimension to our understanding of cues. To register, go to equosity.com. And until next time, have fun with your training.